We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This is the Dane Moore NBA Podcast brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. I'm here with Charlie Johnson in studio, and we're going to talk about the Gerson Rosas uh, press conference and kind of we also had a media scrum afterwards, which I don't know if you're watching on TV, you didn't get to see or hear some of that. So we're going to, on just a really basic level, read some of his quotes and try and parse through those words and, and see what they says, or they says, <laughs> see what they, see what he had to say. And it gave us, I, I, you know, being there and then going back, like transcribing and rereading what he had to say. I think there is a lot of interesting sort of nuggets where, you know, even a week ago when Charlie, you and Britt and I were sitting here being like, well, here are a bunch of different options that a new president of basketball operations you know, could take, he hinted at a few different things and maybe a lot of people kind of grabbed the Wiggins ones. He gave a lot of support to Wiggins and that sort of way. So we're going to get into all that just before we do initial sort of impression, Charlie, of of what you did see of who Gerson is and how he kind of acts. you have anything there? Yeah, I mean, I think it was difficult not to be impressed by the way that he carried himself and the way that he answered questions thoughtfully and thoroughly and passionately. So I think at least on the surface level, he inspired confidence in, like he talked about a lot, his ability to communicate, his ability to be personable, and his ability to have a vision that he will attempt to carry out. I mean, for me, it's like... uh, you know, you can kind of manufacture a press conference and you yep. can have your buzzwords to talk about. And I think they handled that, nailed that. Some of them were interesting. But if I have excitement in Gerson Rosa's that I gathered from yesterday is I really have a a belief that he's just going to do the smart stuff. He's going to, you know, 
pages won't be unturned. Mm -hmm. They're going to maximize a lot of, they're going to look at every resource they have and maximize it. And that's just kind of a, an economical strategy. Whereas a lot of people who come from the basketball, basketball side, a, a former coach, a former player, it's not as important to use all those resources. And we can get through into some of that with Tom Thibodeau. It was, he used the, the resources he had to get what he wanted, not necessarily maximization mm-hmm. of those resources. And obviously we can think of the big things like Jimmy Butler and the cap space on Taj Gibson and Jeff T. But there were there were plenty of smaller things along the way where the former regime didn't maximize the resources. A super small thing is never getting anything out of their two-way contracts. Mm-hmm. Not really maximizing the mid-level exception like last year. Bielitsa for Tolliver. Yeah. I mean, just there's a whole bunch of little things like that in the in the past regime. And and I, I was listening to Jim Peterson was on with the Score North guys too, and he he talked about a lot of that stuff happened with Tibbs too, and from a scouting perspective, and Chris Dunn, namely, of he just kind of went with Chris Dunn because that's what he wanted rather than you know, having a different president of basketball operations or GM really do a fully encompassing, you know, scouting of that entire top of that class. And hindsight's 2020, but that's a huge miss to have, you know, taken done over Jamal Murray. And there's a bunch of those over the course of the way. And I think with Gerson Rosa's, you know, he's going to miss on things, of course, but the, it is the, it is the process mm-hmm. of of being a general manager and not leaving stones unturned that it leads to success. And I feel I feel confident that Rosas is going to lay out a plan in that sort of fashion because we have the track record of what happened in Houston and what we've gathered from who who he is as a person from the perspective other people have laid down. I mean, he's he's not obviously not going to be a a Kevin McHale or a Flip Saunders, or a Tom Thibodeau. He cut his teeth in a completely, completely different way mm-hmm. in this league. So he's a, he's a different type of leader, um, and I'm, I'm fascinated to see where he is able to, to take this franchise with that, that different sort of approach. Yeah, I think at the very least, given his history and what we now know about that history, kind of the, the role that he played within that Houston Rockets front office, and beyond that, given what he was able to effectively communicate yesterday, I think there's reason yesterday at the press conference, I should say, I think that there's reason to be confident that he should have the operations part of president of basketball, president of basketball operations under control. If mm-hmm. you kind of were to split that up, basketball and then operations. Sure. He's got the operations on lock. And I, at least personally, have total confidence in that. And I think that actually leads in well to the to the first quote we have because there is going to be a new dynamic of what the B and POBO is here because if you gathered from his quotes, there is, and he said alignment a million times, but there is a, and I understand alignment of between the business and basketball side, like corporate and front office need to work together. Tibbs didn't do that. I get that. But there's a, a secondary alignment that he was describing that is a vertical between the coaching staff to the basketball operations department. Yep. And he talked about this, we're going to have a specific types of styles of play, specific types of, you know, connectivity between, between those two places. And that is a, that's an interesting thing. A lot of the times, I mean, historically in sports, it's, 
the front office acquires the players and the coaching staff makes the most out of them. Mm -hmm. It makes sense, I guess, in a vacuum to say, oh, it should be alignment there. Like, if you want to play like the Houston Rockets played, you need your front office to be acquiring three-point shooters and switchy defenders and all those sort of things. So Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm most fascinated, I think, by by that wrinkle of Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, and I do think on some level when you hear all those buzzwords, integration, and Gerson Rosas is very smart, presumably. He knows what went wrong, what has recently gone wrong within this organization with recent hires that have had his job. He knows who his main audience is in in his interview process, even in this press conference. It's Glenn Taylor. It's his boss. So on some level, hearing some of those things just makes me think, oh, yeah, what would I say to impress my new boss? Like exactly what he wants to hear. That's just part of the game. It's part of the game. Um, All right, let's get into this first quote. It's kind of related to style of play, which relates to this secondary vertical alignment, whatever we want to label it as. And um, it was one of the first questions he was asked because – Everyone's like, oh, Houston Rockets, three-pointers. You know, yeah. he got one of those questions. And uh, I thought it, this was interesting. He said, I think you're going to see a lot of similarities with the, how the modern game is being played. We were fortunate to do a lot of great things in Houston. Mike D'Antoni is a visionary. And we we're able to push the limits of how that's played in terms of pace and space, in terms of shot selection, in terms of how we utilize players, how we put players in positions to be successful. But it's a balanced game. Defensively, we also have to be strategic. I'm excited about that this roster I'm excited that this roster offers a lot of players that fit into that style of play and I think it's going to be one of the biggest reasons we're able to take a step forward next year. So, buzzwords we have. I don't know, these aren't even buzzwords. These are just like definitive words yeah, yeah. being pace and space, shot selection, how we utilize players. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's meant to be a direct dig at what was happening happened last year but well just I think just the fact that he said that you know he's confident that that the last line from that quote he's confident in being able to take a step forward without assuming any sort of transactions is inherently a dig at the previous regime saying if we make these pace and space these shot selection changes we can take a step forward and I I did think it was because he also said on the televised portion of it this is not going to be Houston North Mm -hmm. which that obviously uh, they're not going. They don't have James Harden and Chris Paul. That's it's not going to be in that sort of way. But then for him to to acknowledge the pace and space, to acknowledge shot selections, is to say, yeah, that is there is still going to be that element of it that I do believe in, and it's not going to be a million high pick and rolls with the floor spread in the way that we did in Houston. But we are going to be looking to optimize these these players, and as we know, having watched this team particularly with the juxtaposition of how it was coached under Tom Thibodeau versus Ryan Saunders, where for all of Saunders' weaknesses, I think we saw a better utilization of where and when Cat caught the ball. And he was, Cat grew in his efficiency by taking more threes under Saunders and also getting more post-ups because those were his two most effective areas of the game. And I, I my, and then I guess even you could say with Andrew Wiggins is, Saunders used him in a, in the high pick and roll a little bit more in those sort of ways, which theoretically should produce a, you know, a more productive pace and space efficient uh, sort of offense. So I, my, my, my assumption is that I don't know if those are the exact things that Rosas will lean into. I mean, you can make a pretty strong argument that post-ups just aren't a great idea, even if you have cat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I do f- 
I do feel that he's going to, it's going to be much more blocked off. Like, what are we good at? What are we bad at as a team? Not just Andrew Wiggins bad at mid-range shots. Like, and, and putting together a system in alignment with Ryan Saunders whoever the, or whoever the coach may be as to, you know, making that work. Yeah, yeah. I see that as an exciting departure from Tom Thibodeau. And it isn't even nerdy analytics. It's just like, no, that just makes sense. Yeah, I saw when he said this isn't going to be Houston North, I saw a lot of people seem to take that as, you know, I'm not going to do what Tom Thibodeau did and just go get Trevor Reza and Chris Paul and Luke Bob Mute and whatever. But I did not I, take it that way. Yeah, I didn't either. I took it kind of what you were saying, like don't expect us to attempt 53s next year. Yeah. Um, but I think it's an exciting departure from Thibodeau, like I was saying, because Thibodeau was the polar opposite. It was I have my scheme and I'm going to pigeonhole these players that right. I have to fit this scheme, whereas what I think Rosas is saying is we're going to try to to maximize our players. Like, and I think you can kind of go down the roster like you were and say there are ways that Carl Anthony Towns was used incorrectly, especially when Tom Thibodeau was the coach. There certainly were with Andrew Wiggins, with Tyus Jones, with Dario Saric, with Josh Okogi. Like, yeah. just about every single, besides maybe Robert Covington, like every single meaningful player, there are ways that you could nitpick and go, God, you know, we got to get the, the ball right. in the hands of Dario Saric a little more. Like, we got to do this and this and this. So I think that's exciting to think about him maximizing the team he has instead of trying to maximize some belief that he has. What do you think about the ability to be able to align with the coaching staff and really have, if you want to put it like the, the bench extends beyond the realm of five assistant coaching seats. Is that, I I don't know. Is that, is that going to be difficult to do? Is that, do you need to hire a coaching staff that is very willing to do that? Like, I think I don't know. It, it's it's a li- it seems a little different. It seems kind of tricky. I would think it would be very tricky, especially because everybody naturally is selfish. The coach yeah, need, right. need the coach needs to win games right now. The general manager needs to lay out a plan, like we've heard from Rosas, for for sustained success. And those two goals can butt heads, right. obviously at times. So I think it would be really tricky. But I think you have to do it if you want to be an elite franchise, or at least it seems that there's more and more evidence suggesting that because you think about the Houston Rockets are such the perfect example where if, you know, how could Daryl Morey implement his analytics strategy if he didn't have Mike D'Antoni, the seven seconds or less coach, willing to to deploy it to the nth degree? And conversely, how could Mike D'Antoni, you know, play this this pace and space offense if Daryl Morey wasn't willing to acquire players that fit that scheme. So if you want to be a championship level team, I think you have to do it. But I agree with you that it's going to be tricky. Well, and I think that's part of the attraction of Ryan Saunders, if I'm Gerson Rosas, Mm -hmm. is that's a very moldable coach. This is what we're going to be doing, Ryan. Mm -hmm. And then then Ryan saying, okay, here's the general framework. Then I'll put my imprints on this framework. And that's essentially what happened in the marriage between D'Antoni and Maury. Yeah. Um, Ryan just doesn't have a defined, like D'Antoni is on the record extensively of saying, you know, I'm an offensive coach and that's, you know, my, my area of focus. And I would think that that's what Saunders is, but I think he, to Rosa's is a much more blank palette. Yeah. Where you can just, you can just kind of say, this is, this is what we're going to do. So, if in fact the alignment in that sort of way, the extension of the bench is really important, I believe Rosa's 
you know, is more incentivized to do that when rather than I mean, you think about Dave Yeager, like who seems like a great coach to me. And there's the, the, you know, connections there or whatever, but he has an extensive, extensive coaching career of doing things his way. And actually an extensive list of ways that he butted heads with uh, previous front offices or whatever. I mean, if you're going to go hire any 60 year old, like they've had success or they've done things yeah. in their own ways and they might be better coaches than Ryan. Like I, I probably would guess they would, they would be, you mm-hmm. know, I think there's a better free agent coach out there than Ryan Saunders, but there might not be a more moldable coach on the market than that. Yeah. I, I think that would be hard to argue against. There are kind of probably two ways of looking at that. If it's hard to have any sort of real opinion on, because I've got no idea we've read that Saunders and Rosas have known each other or whatever, but I have no idea what that relationship is like. So I would think if on one hand he has a good relationship with Ryan and he looks at, he looks at it kind of what you outlined in your article today of like Ryan was willing to lean on assistant coaches and he was willing to take advice. If he looks at those things as great positives, then it could be really a convenient marriage. But if he looks at it and says, I don't really know this Ryan Saunders, he's young and he doesn't have much experience. I think if you're just going to pick him for convenience sake, that's a big mistake because Rosas could just go get his guy. But I think our assumption is that's not going to happen. Yes. Um, it, it was, and why I think Ryan would be more receptive to this is that Rosas has a pretty extensive back. I, I'll just read this, his quote about his coaching background and, mm-hmm. And coming from the player development side, coming from being someone who did work with coaching the previous Houston Rockets coaching staffs. He said, I have a very definitive coaching background. I was an assistant high school coach in Houston. I was a graduate assistant at the University of Houston. Player development is a lifeblood. I'm a guy who works inside out. We're going to see what we have here and we're going to maximize those talents. Player development, it's all around and it's connected to not only what we do as a program and a velocity, it's connected to alignment. Everybody on our basketball operations is going to be on the same page. And while I am recognizing and questioning the functionality of being able to do that vertical alignment we discussed, I am enticed by the focus on player development because it's the best, it is the best way to get out of a difficult situation. And we're going to talk about Andrew Wiggins here shortly because Rosas did. Um, it doesn't cost anything more to invest in Andrew Wiggins. Putting a coaching staff in around him and a specific program to developing Andrew Wiggins does not cost you a first-round pick, does not cost you more salary. That's already – that those costs are sunk. Yeah, yeah. And being able to de- player develop, not just Wiggins, but everyone on the roster is a non – it is a no-cost – step to take and therefore it's the it's the obvious move not just for Rose if it were Rosas for anyone you 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 look at you look at the cap sheet you look at the the team and you say we don't have the flexibility to go out and make other different types of moves this isn't this isn't the New Orleans Pelicans that David Griffin took over and said hey we're gonna get rid of Anthony Davis and then we got whatever we can do whatever we want that's not the job that Rosas inherited here he inherited a 24-year-old on a four-year contract in Andrew Wiggins and a 23-year-old on a five-year contract in Carl Anthony Towns and a couple other guys who were on deals for a while longer. But you, you already have um, 
I don't want to say the entirety of your core, but you have a lot of your core already set in place. Mm-hmm. And therefore, player development is just the obvious, yeah. it's the obvious move. And development in general, I think that even ties back into that first quote that you read that you know talked about maximizing the players that we have right now. Because not only can you develop players to be better versions of themselves by like you know gaining new skills you can also tweak the strategy tweak the scheme that you're mm-hmm. using like we're talking about like use these players in more in, in ways that optimize them more like how he said we want to put players in position to be successful yeah. like you can not only develop them you can do that and your team can be better simply for that reason and you can have coaches specifically and there's always coaches that are specifically dedicated to certain players. But a coach in the NBA has numerous responsibilities. And if I'm Gerson Rosas and I'm putting together a president of a basketball operations department and I'm trying to put together a system for development, I'm cutting down those assistant coaches' other jobs and hyper-focusing them on individual development of particularly the players who need it most. And that be... I, I would say a a shooting coach for for Josh Okogi that his his ne- that his individual coach next season is someone who Max is going to maximize his weaknesses. Yep. And and same thing with Andrew Wiggins and Do- I mean Carl Anthony Towns too. Maybe that's uh, whatever Rosas determines the weaknesses are. But for say it's Cat and you think he needs to get bigger and stronger. Okay, it's a his assistant coach understands strength in the post and understands the weight room and can work with Cat in those same ways really I would get a robust staff and I think that's you know part of the sales pitch to Glenn and something that didn't exist here particularly last season with Tibbs weren't a lot of assistant coaches is that because Tibbs didn't want to hire them or is that because so much of that budget was taken up by the top or what no as I understand it um so Tibbs inherited a few inherited a few assistant coaches who are here from the the previous regime after um, the playoff season, he fired everyone who he did not individually hire himself. And I think it was a little bit of fight or flight. He was like, I'm going to do this. I'm doing it with my guys. No more politics, this and that. Like, I want as much control as possible. And the only control I'm going to cede is to the play- or is to the assistants that are fiercely loyal to me. And I know they're... Th- thinking aligns mind and that would be the Andy Greers and and the Ed Pinkneys and the guys that he brought in specifically for this job. And so I think that's why Tibbs cut it down. But I would do the opposite of this of this now and have those player groups you know smaller if possible mm-hmm. and and even beyond that just really focused on on the individuals that do need development. I I think that's that's an assumption. It's, a, it's almost in a weird way representative of these last two coaching searches. Like f- during the first one, they, they outsourced it and they said, okay, Corn Ferry, tell us who to hire. They picked Tom Thibodeau and then Tom Thibodeau was sort of a monarch through, throughout his tenure here. And throughout dictator. this dictator, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and then throughout this hiring process, they made it more of like an egalitarian approach where mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, interviewed all of the subjects and then collaborated their opinions to make a good decision. And maybe that's indicative of how the regime will shake out. That'll be it'll be more collaborative. I mean, it better based on what was said in right. the press conference. Yeah, I mean, I think now he's he's set the 
established the tone and established yeah, some absolutely. expectations in that sort of way. And I mean, it's something if we're sitting here two years from now and not only Andrew Wiggins, but a couple other players on the roster, if, say Josh Kogi is the same player 24 months from now, you've got to be like, hey, Gerson, you said player development, like, absolutely, what, you know, and yeah. so he's, he's kind of set himself up for that, which is good. I, he, he should. Yeah. Um, the 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 one individual that we have to talk about here all the time, but he talked about he actually fielded multiple questions about Andrew Wiggins, and I thought his his answers there were particularly. Who were those questions about Andrew Wiggins from? A couple pe- different people from the Star Tribune. Okay. Um, two different two different ones, and I thought they were they were yeah. good they were good questions. Um, I mean, it's <laughs> it's a huge question, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Like of uh, of the team, and I thought the. It was actually his, his final answer, uh, Rosa's final answer of the, it was about 20 minutes we got to talk to him for yesterday. And you, you could kind of feel that he was like getting a little bit more comfortable. Oh, and interesting. was like, yo, this is, this is what it is. Because like, his, I'll read his, his first Andrew answer, was this, and this was, I think, the third, third question. So maybe four or five minutes in, yeah. not even. He goes, Andrew is a very talented individual. I was fortunate to have seen him as a young prospect at the hoop summit. And I know what his potential is. I know what his impact could be. I'm going to invest every resources. I every resource I can to help Andrew be successful. Blah. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. like, cool. cool. You saw him at the hoop summit. <laughs> like, yeah, I agreed. Um, but then the next time in the follow-up 15 minutes later, he was like, to be fair to Andrew, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. There's been different coaches. There's been different systems. There have, there have been different platforms. The only thing that I can go off of is the experience that I ha- the experiences that I have with Andrew. I've spoken with Andrew. He's very motivated about this. He's very excited about it. We're going to work with him every day. And then this is where he's like, okay, the reality is this. If I go out on the market to get a player, I'm not going to find a player that's got a bigger upside than Andrew. He's a very talented individual. He's got the physical tools and he's a great kid. We have to mature him into a great player and that's our responsibility. Yeah. And that's, I mean, not explicitly, but saying I'm not going to trade Andrew Wiggins. That doesn't make sense to me. Well, uh, I know what you're going to say is like, what would he if say? If you wanted to trade him, what yeah, would you say? True. What, what would he say? But I don't think you say the, I don't think you say if I go out onto the market. Yeah. If you feel that way. You're right. It, it could be. It, no, this, is, well, this is a press conference and a bunch of media who knows we're going to be sitting here with microphones in front of us yeah. and writing about it and sharing quotes and all this and that. But it's going to get it, out there. It was over and over and it could have been more concise. It could have been. He could have brushed yeah, over it again. He could have done the same quote over again. Yeah, he absolutely could. I, I mean, I'm just saying if anybody wants to bet me, like, I don't think Andrew Wiggins is getting traded. No, I wouldn't. Th- this offset. I know you aren't, but. Even money, that'd be terrible odd. Yeah. <laughs> well, and let's get into why that is. Like, I don't, I mean, Rosas is an idiot. Like, he knows that, he knows the Wiggins stunk last year mm-hmm. and has been a player who has detracted from winning for much of his career. He, he knows that, but rather than focusing on those sort of inefficiencies, he's looking at it like, well, what can we do to make this more effective? And that's... That's the right strategy with Wiggins. Maybe not if he was had one year, maybe not if he was in the Jeff Teague situation with one year left on his deal. But when you have him on the books for four more years and for that much money, which would cost a 
a lot to get off. It would be very difficult. And even if you did, even if you deleted or found a way to trade Andrew Wiggins, it's not like you're getting a bunch of cap space for it, which I want to go into also. Like this is the, this is the path to go down if you're the new president of basketball operations. I don't think it's like something that's unique to if it were Rosa's. I think anybody's going to come in and say, yeah, I'm going to get my hands on him and I'm going to try again. Yeah. Like that's, that, that's the obvious move. And I think on some level it's fair to assume that Andrew Wiggins is one of those players that a general manager is constantly fielding trade calls about or exploring what they could do to transact that player. But assuming that's not going to happen because of how difficult it is, as you lay out in your article, yeah, let's focus on maximizing him. Let's focus on putting any and every resource that we have into making him the best version of himself because he's right. It's hard to find that upside on the market. Absolutely. And like... I wrote about this in, in the article today and was you have with Wiggins, there's like, there's, there's three paths. There's what Rosa sounds like he's going to do and just focus on player development. You can do what Tibbs did bring in other veterans stars to show him the way, which I'm not saying that was, wasn't necessarily a bad move. It didn't work yeah. obviously with Butler, but like, you know, that made sense. It was a legitimate path to take. Yeah. It's something I actually, I've, I've talked about on this pod for a long time. I, I referenced, uh, Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, you know, going to Toronto. And that's really what unlocked Kyle Lowry was a friend or what unlocked DeMar DeRozan mm-hmm. was a friend and, and someone who he really developed a synergy with. And, and from that DeMar DeRozan became a much better, more efficient player who drove winning. Mm-hmm. I, I think that was a great strategy to take with Wiggins. The issue is now you've already shot that bullet. You don't have Chris Dunn, Zach Levine and Laurie Markkinen in your coffer to be able to trade for this year's Jimmy Butler. Yeah. That's gone. And there aren't more, there just aren't, that isn't, you don't have that option anymore. So we're presented with two, the player development that Rose has laid out or trading him. And the element of trading him that I want to focus on is not only that it would be very difficult to do and probably cost you assets in picks along the way. It's that, you wouldn't create cap space next year. Yeah. This year, this year, or well, depending on who you traded him for. Mm -hmm. So what I want in the article, and I I think if Rosa's does pursue a trade of Andrew Wiggins, you are taking back someone else's headache, a, a, a lesser headache, probably, but probably somebody who has multiple years left on a deal that is a suboptimal sort of deal. Yeah, the one I highlighted was was Dion Waiters. Just for purely hypothetical, they would need to create. It doesn't some space. seem like too out of this world. Like Miami seems like the kind of team that would like to get their hands on Andrew Wiggins, right? So I don't think it's crazy. Yeah, and I just if you did that and you were able to, Miami has the space to absorb the rest of. Say they did have the space to absorb the rest of Wiggins's contract, and you could just go straight up Wiggins for Waiters. The, what happens with the Wolves because Cat's contract is jumping up so much, is that they would only have three million. They would only get three million dollars in cap space from that, even though there's a fifteen million dollar difference between between Wiggins and Waiters. Because that makes sense? yeah, yeah, because they're already over the the salary the, cap. They're already over the salary cap to a non full roster. Mm-hmm. So they're they're at one hundred fifteen million right now. With, assuming if Cat makes All NBA, and that's only to eight players. That's before your draft pick, which costs $3.5 million. And that's before roster holds, 
mm-hmm. for the rest of the roster. So there you go. Your $15 million is all but gone, all but $3 million. So just know, and I, I mean, if anybody's listening to this and you're, you're banging the trade Wiggins drum, like I, I hear you, like I get that. I'm not, I don't fly the Wiggins flag on the <laughs> island. Like it's, it's just that no, if you do that, you get back Dion Waiters and $3 million in cap space. Yeah. My, my, I, uh, like, give me a counter. You can, you're argue. right. No, 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 no. My pushback on that is you get off you the get later three, years. $3 million this year. If you're worried about Andrew Wiggins not approaching that upside that Rosas talks about in the press conference, you're not totally freaked out about this year. Yeah. You, you don't want to pay Andrew Wiggins through 2022 23, which is the year before Carl Anthony Towns is going to become a restricted free agent. No, unrestricted. Un, thank you. An unrestricted free agent. So it's it's just not about this year. Yeah. Like you you don't get any flexibility this year, but you save yourself from from the future if you don't have faith in Andrew Wiggins. Yeah. And what's more, DM Waiters is a better player right now. <laughs> it was last year. What, DeAndre Waiters yeah. didn't have a good year. Yeah, 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 exactly. But so I that that's my pushback is it's just not about the flexibility you're trying to create this year. It's about avoiding the catastrophe that could be four more years of, of, and, of Andrew Wiggins. And what like what Dion Waiters gives you like a hundred and eight percent of what Andrew Wiggins yeah, is. You know, it's like I mean, and Andrew I Wiggins that. to his credit plays every game. Dion Waiters does not. Yeah. I just that there's an argument to being to getting off of the end of Andrew Wiggins' contract. That's to, to cutting bait right now because if if you don't buy into him reaching that upside, it might just get worse uh, and do, worse. If, okay. And I would be I could I, we literally had this conversation where I was like Move Jeff Teague to get whatever cap space you can. Yep, yep. But my my point was there is it, it, it's the one year you're able to create. It, it makes more sense. Yeah. In 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 that vein, whereas with with Wiggins, it's you can do that later. And once there's not as much of a, a bad cap situation, like if if there was more. Financial flexibility on the team, whereas if you were able to trade Andrew Wiggins for Deion Waiters and you got $15 million in cap space, Mm -hmm. then that makes more sense to me Mm -hmm. because you can go out and use that $15 million on X. I don't know. Like, Can't you say, though, that you're theoretically trading for $25 million in cap space in two years? Yes, but what is that going to be that different in a year? Is it going to be? Is it? Does can Andrew Wiggins's value be worse in it, a year? It's a good question. It's one that I've been thinking about a lot lately. I guess I do kind of think that it could go down if he has another disappointing year, because then you'll start to say, okay, this is no shot. He's not going to become the player we thought he'd be. But can it go? Meaningfully it's a year lower? older. It's a year. He's a year older. That hurts. Mm-hmm. But statistically, I mean, he was legitimately one of the most hurtful players in the NBA this past year. Yep. I, I don't think there's any shot that statistically Andrew Wiggins is a worse player than he was this year, next year. I, I, I think yeah. even if th- this whole player development special sauce doesn't work and just normal, like normalcy, mm-hmm. like it, it, 
like Andrew Wiggins will be Deion Waiters next year. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's a good it's a good point that it's hard to imagine his value going that much lower. Mm-hmm. But I do worry about that it could go lower. I, I do and too. that there might not be a bunch of teams with cap it, space it, next summer. It's just a worry that I would I'd be more worried about it if the situation financial situation wasn't as messy as, a, yeah. as it already is. You just you don't clean that much up. In the end, yeah, movements. and you're right that barring big injury or absolute bizarreness, it's hard to imagine his trade value getting much lower. I guess I can see it getting lower because I, I still sure. do think you hear Rosas. Like there's people still see that upside. So if a year from now they don't, that's scary. And if you somehow get locked into that Andrew Wiggins for the next four years, you're screwed. So that's what you're trying yeah. to cut bait on. It's not about this year, but I agree with your assessment. There, there's... There, there's a world and an argument to be made that says, you know, clean it out and have it just be cat. But it, so you have money a few years from now and once Jang's off the books, like there's a strong argument to be like, do whatever it takes to trade, wave, stretch, whatever, Jang, Teague, and Wiggins, just so you you can you can have space around cat. But that's so much. There'd be so much penance that would need to be paid. And you're talking about a multiple year rebuild. Like that made sense for the Sixers to do because the Sixers sucked. Mm-hmm. They had they had no good players. The Wolves have low end, the 25th best player in the NBA, the 20th best player in the NBA in Cat, who's probably going to be even better than that next year. That is different than the Sixers who had like TJ McConnell Mm -hmm. and it it, yeah you're right the counter to that is just that in getting rid of all three of those just seems absurd Mm -hmm. all three of those bad contracts to Jang Wiggins just seems absurd but the argument would be that Andrew Wiggins isn't helping like isn't helping maximize cat Cat. right 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 so I you know but I, I guess I just do tend to come back to it's hard to imagine his trade value getting that much lower. So if Gerson Rosas, who is so much smarter than me, sees, sees a world where not only through those schematic adjustments and that emphasis on player development we talked about, he can kind of naturally nudge him in the, in the right direction. But if he sees a world where he can push him to reach that upside that he feels like he can't find on the open market, then yeah, give it your best. And I'm not and you're not buying into that upside. No. To a meaningful degree. No. But there are simple, basic adjustments to his style of play that will inevitably increase his efficiency. I think I had one of my most viral tweets ever. Congrats. Well, thank you. Yes. (laughs) Big accomplishment. (laughs) Dane Moore MBA on Twitter. The the Wiggins Rockets one. Yeah. Yeah. Where I was was actually reading Michael Rand. um, He had a, a post about Wiggins, as he's wont to do. Yeah. And, uh, versus like kind of the efficiency of the Rockets. And, you know, I, I knew that Wiggins took a bunch of mid-rangers and the Rockets didn't. So I was just kind of curious to, you know, how how stark is that? And with Wiggins is he took 180 uh, shot attempts from 15 to 19 feet. Like long mid-range. Long mid-range shots, 180 of them. He made 31.7 of those. 31.7%. Percent, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the Rockets, as an entire team, 
over 82 games, Wiggins didn't even play 82 games, shot 164 and made 45.1% of them. <laughs> you know, so it's just that Andrew Wiggins shot 16 more mid-range, deep mid-range shots than the Houston Rockets did last season is a funny stat, but it's also an indication of there's no effing way that's ever happening, happening yeah. again. Well, it would seem to have been smart to go pluck the number two in command in the Houston front office. <laughs> if, if you that's want to a concern that. of yours, yeah. That, I was honestly more struck by the percentage, by the percentages, the conversion rates, than by the attempts in general. Because I, man, 31% is so low. Well, and like, Wiggins wasn't necessarily good at other shots, but he shot, uh, I have it here somewhere, he shot 58% um, at the rim by far a career low. Yeah. Yeah. But like the rim's easier to make <laughs> shots from there. And he shot 34% from three. So yeah. he just shot better and he's, when he moved back. And you he's know? typically been like a 60, 65% shooter at the rim throughout his career. Right. Which R- I would think would probably bounce back to, you know, t- to some degree. You'd think, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, the, the, the percentage struck me too. And yeah. I think the, the reason the Rockets also made 45% of those was because when they took them, they were really open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they had to yeah, be. Yeah. I mean, and, and Wiggins was taking, you know, the, the contested ones. And I don't want to have another, like, w- don't take contested mid-range shots, Andrew, conversation. <laughs> like, but, like, that that's so easily, like, diagnosable and able to be adjusted when you do have that alignment between someone in Rosas who has the belief that that's not what you want and you have the coaching staff who has the connectivity to Wiggins to say, hey, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. Like, we, we've said forever, don't do that. Now you have a plan to, to change that. Like, Andrew's, you know, just going to be better because of that. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it, he doesn't need to, like, get better. I mean, I guess you can say that making smarter choices is getting better but at a ba- as a basketball player, but, like, athletically and physically and as it relates to skill development, he doesn't really need to get better if he can figure out that if I shoot two mid-rangers a game instead of six and those shots are reallocated to better, pl- you know, better scores on better spots of the floor, that is going to drive my impact on right. winning. I don't need to become a pick-and-roll maestro or a defensive lockdown star to go from the basement of the league to the middle floor. I can just clean up around the edges. Right, and that, that I'm confident that that will happen. Yeah. He's got to be better in every other aspect of the game too, and maybe development gets him there. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sold that Wiggins is fixed from a couple of press conference quotes, but I think it's a, it's a step in the right yeah, direction. Yeah. Tied, tied to that and tied to the, as we've said, the, the logic of keeping Wiggins is the fact that as Rosas knows, this team is up against it, you know, financially. And he, he talked about using the, the few resources that they do have. And, and as we were kind of talked about at the beginning of the episode of, all right, like you're up against it, but you have the mid-level exception. You have the biannual exception. You could you have a, the the 10th overall pick as it stands right now. There are things you can do um, along those ways, and I thought this was an interesting quote. We're going to explore every resource, whether it's cap space, whether it's sign-in trades, whether it's market trades. I don't know what market trades are, but he said <laughs> that. Uh, whatever the case may be, draft trades, we're looking at everything. We have to utilize every resource. We have to maximize every opportunity. And that's one thing Timberwolves fans should know. 
in this office, we're going to be looking at everything possible to help this team next year. Duh. Like, you're going to do that. But it made me start to think about what are those? You know, what are those? And you, we did a whole podcast about what, what should they do with the mid-level exception? And like, and we'll do another. <laughs> every episode we talk about this <laughs> preview. Um, but again, Tibbs, Tibbs didn't do that. Um, cap space was allocated in a, a different, I would say, less efficient sort of way. And so what Rosas has this year is the mid-level. And I'm, I'm curious as to, one, how much he's going to prioritize the importance of it. Because if you do bring Tyus back or a lot of the other current free agents, whether that be Taj, the wall, whatever, um, you, you don't, you don't necessarily get to use all that while staying under the luxury tax. So I don't, did, did, does anything after now hearing Rosa speak, how, how and where do you think he does use the resources that they have? You know, I, I hone in on those words, maximize and everything possible from that quote, because it seems to jive so well with the, the other things he's talked about, like maximizing the players on the floor, maximizing the scheme that those players are run, and then off of the floor, maximizing the resources. So I guess in general, it's difficult for me to imagine him running it back to a great extent. I agree. So on that level, I see the mid-level exception being uh, you know, more of a useful factor because then they can acquire players from different teams, theoretically, just in general. So on a high level, I see him not running it back. I, I thought, um, and th- this struck me, and this is definitively a Houston Rockets thing, as much as shooting three-pointers and getting layups is a Houston Rockets thing, it's, he said, we need to focus on high-end players in our pursuit mm-hmm. of acquisitions. And with the Rockets... What we learned is that they, you know, when stars became available, and Daryl Morey said this on a million different interviews, whatever, it was, you need stars to win. And, you know, they threw logic to the wind and just said, whenever a star's there, we're going to go get them. Yeah. If we can get them. And in, an example of that was when Jimmy Butler became made available by the Timberwolves this past year. They they were willing to give up as as much as they could yeah. to to acquire four first round picks, four first round picks, which that is kind of veiled in uh, the bad yeah. first round picks and maybe converted into seconds, whatever. But still, but they they go, that's a star. Uh, we're going to go try and get a star if we can if we can get a star when we're in that stage. Um, obviously, it's the same thing with Chris Paul, even though him and James Harden functionally played the same position. They're like, we're going to make it work. We're going to get the stars, and you make it work from there. And um, I just kind of went back through and looked at Houston's salary spreadsheet from the past like eight years. And what's interesting is they, they're so a, it's not only studs and duds like max contracts and minimums, but it's close. Yeah. It was, it's uh, been very rare that they've pursued middling type of salary salaries above the mid level and below the max. Yeah. Between that like eight and $18 million area. And when they did, it was for players who they believe really unlocked something for them. And that was Ryan Anderson, which doesn't look like a great contract now. But if we remember, I mean, Ryan Anderson a year ago, two years ago, I mean, that was a a critical portion of what opened up the Houston offense. And 
they justified that expense there. Eric Gordon was another one when he signed for $14 million a year with them. And it was it was needing to have a third approximation of Harden yeah. and Paul. And so I just – what I gather from that is that the Wolves are not – I don't want to say ever, but there it's going to be it's gonna be so much less of the Taj Gibsons and Jeff Teagues. And Taj was a good signing. I mean, that worked out. Like yeah. I, I think that was fine. But I don't think that's a move that Gerson Rosas would pursue. I think he's the guy who would have I think he would have made the Butler trade that Tibbs made. Yep. Say Butler's available. Let's, let's go get him. Yep. See you, Levine, see you done, whatever. But he, I think the following transactions, my gut, my perspective is that he would not have gone Teague, Teague and Gibson and he would have used he would have either waited on that or found a way to use all of that cap space on and not even that this would have been that great but maybe maybe rather than signing both Teague and Gibson he goes and gets Kyle Lowry yeah who is a better Jeff you know a better version of Jeff Teague and just getting one more studdish player rather than two solid guys. And I think that is the type of free agency behavior I anticipate seeing from from Rosa's going yeah. forward. And that's a departure. That's another departure from tips. Yeah, I agree with you that those middling contracts are so interesting. And that's a trend that that's what the good teams do is they don't overpay for those middling players. And like unless they are unless they're no. Like, yeah, like Andre Iguodala is the Warriors' middling contract. He's making 14 million bucks a year. He's the only one on their roster who's in this area we're talking about, but he's perfect for what they need. And I would say for the Wolves, that's Robert Covington. For and the Wolves. Yeah. And he's on the lower end of middling at 11, yep. 12 million bucks. Right. Um, but I agree with you. And like Taj Gibson works. And so let's say you sign four of them. You sign Jeff Teague, Corgi Jang falls into this, Taj Gibson, and is that it? Uh, Wiggins. <laughs> Wiggins is the No, no, he's max. not middle. He's max. Yeah. He's max. No, no, it'd be that. But yeah. so you sign three of them and one of them works out and two of them don't. And even you go, Cole Aldrich. How about that though? Even Cole Aldrich. Yeah. I guess I was, I mean, that was 7 million. So it's below the mid level, but it's like. But it was three years. It was three it? years, 21 yeah. million. Um, and that that's a situation where I think Rosas goes, let's just get a minimum center. Yeah. Let's just get exactly. Even if Cole, even if we have Cole ranked higher than him. Let's just go and get Zaza Pachulio or because, whatever. Yeah, because resource allocation matters, and Taj Gibson might work out, but you've allocated fifty mm-hmm. percent of your salary cap to Teague, to Teague Gibson and Jang. So if just one of them works out, right. that doesn't really move the needle. Well, it, it moves it in the wrong direction. Ex- exactly. Or that's where they where they sit today. He did then follow that up after the high end part. He goes, but he did say secondarily. I think you're going to see a lot of system fits Mm -hmm. where this team is based on where we want to go. I think there's a lot of diversity in terms of the wing position. As he's talking about this current, current team, there's some questions that we have to answer at the point guard position. True at the bigs position. There's a good strength there and there's good depth there, but a lot of it is going to be what the market bears in terms of trades and in terms of free agency, but for us high end focus and then systematic needs as, as are yeah. going forward. And that's what I think of this, like what we're talking about with how good teams allocate the resources, high-end players, and then throw darts at the dartboard yep. to find system fits, like people you think will be system fits, and hopefully a few of them work out. For some reason, when you said system fits, Luol Deng popped into my 
head yeah. as someone who would fit into that mold. I would think for Gerson Rosas as he evaluates potential minimum signings as a guy who can be low usage, who can play some defense, who can shoot some threes, like system fit. My my biggest question I have is so we're all super focused on the you know he's at pace and space and all this and that. So it's obvious to define what a system fit is. There, it's a shooter, you know, a shooter and or and or somebody who is able to get to the line. That's your offensive system fit. I don't know what the defensive system fit is, because in Houston, they prioritize players who can defend multiple positions and switch freely. Mm-hmm. That's been as another definitive characteristic of of who who Houston is. The the difference here is that you're coming from a defensive system of players who are focused on zone reads defensively, not switchability, not the P.J. Tucker, Trevor Reza, Luke Bamute, those type of guys. Will Rosas put an edict on the fact that, nope, this is the way we're going to defend, and these are the type of players we're going to get because of that? I, that sounds pretty good. Like, it's mm-hmm. a lot of – you watch the playoffs, you're like, oh, Pretty good idea to have a bunch of switchable types of players. But if the defense is totally revamped next year and you've brought in, you bring in, you know, three guys that more fit that mold, it will be a departure for a lot of these players who have not played in a defensive system like that. Mm-hmm. And that includes Robert Covington and Dario Saric because they they played in a very similar defensive scheme in Philadelphia next to Joel Embiid. So I believe, like, I'm so anti, get the drop out of here, particularly if Cat's your guy, and, like, move towards that system. But I don't know if that's what Rosas is going to do. And I, I asked him that at the, you know, at the press conference, what are the type of players? And he kind of he kind of hedged on what type of defensive players it is. We want to get and just saying, you know, get the good, well, you know, get the be- they know the best players that are available. Yeah. As he says here, he said system fits. Yeah. To the question, and... That is, I'm just, I live on banging the drum of that's what needs to be solved with this team is the defensive end. And, and it's, it's bigger than just saying they need to improve from the 24th defense to the 12th. No, you need to find a system that allows you to do that. That's step one. Yep. And, um, that could be a iteration of what they're running now. But it also could be moving in a vastly different direction, sliding completely down the spectrum in the other way to what we've seen Houston do. We've seen a lot of other teams do in that sort of direction. So the offseason and the acquisitions and the players they draft are going to allow us a hint as to what how this team is going to play because they are going to draft players and sign low-end players who are system fits. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I would think that in general, this this definitely comes back to that, you know, vertical integration discussion we had before about everyone's got to be on the same page. Rosas better be on the same page with Saunders if that's the coach, because these are the kind of decisions that are going to need to be made and then carried out in unison. Mm-hmm. But I think this, I hope that they're going to get rid of the drop. I hope that they're going to start sw- just switching and just implementing a more modern defense. And then I think of, yeah, it's going to be a tough adjustment. Maybe they are 25th again, and maybe they're better in general, but they're 25th because it was a year of adjustment. 
And maybe that's kind of what Rosas meant when he said, I've got this, this vision of, of this vision for both immediate and sustained success. Maybe that's part of that. Cause I just hope that they're not looking at this going, yeah, we should, we should play the same defense again. No, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't think, in my opinion, if they do change the defensive scheme and given Robert Covington's health, I think there's no way this group can be 25th in defense. Mm-hmm. I don't think no so. Way. I don't, I don't, it, it seems in, impossible to me that they could be that bad again. And they were even worse. They were even worse. Like, it's about the players you acquire, but it's also about the system. And I just, I want, it's a critical move. It's just, a, it, to me, it's just as critical as acquiring a backcourt player who can hit a three consistently. It's, it's what this team needs. Yeah. And it's a, it's a more difficult thing to talk about. Yeah. Because defense is confusing and it's, it's tricky. Like you can, you can point to, okay, the Wolves are, they didn't shoot a lot of threes. Like, here you go. Here's all their threes they've took. Yeah. Like with defense, you have to really kind of break it down and break down the film and break down. How did we play when we had Covington? How did we play in situations, you know, when Covington was hurt, when he was off the floor? How do we play defense when Cat isn't off the floor? How are we going to make the most out of out of the, you know, the the minutes that Cat can't play if it's due to foul trouble? I mean, that's going to be in foul trouble. It's at least like 15 minutes a game, maybe even more when he's out. I mean, you need to you need to put in not only an offensive plan for replacing Cat and Covington in those situations, you need to put in a defensive plan that doesn't allow this team to get totally toasted yeah. during, during those times. And I just think that's that's huge. And given my belief that that Rosas is thorough, I I believe that's something that will be addressed. I just don't know. Um, I don't know if he, if that's a drum that he was like, yeah, banging in. He was like, we need to play this sort of way defensively. Yeah, that would. I don't know. I don't know either. It would hopefully, hopefully, um, I hope that they identify players who are switchable so that they can implement a more switch heavy and a more aggressive defense. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, I hope that they lean on players who are more oriented toward toward team defense than just like Mm -hmm. athleticism and lockdown defense. Like more of the Robert Covington. I mean, that's, he's like like, more Luol Deng's, more Anthony Tolliver's, like, Mm -hmm. you know, less Josh Okogie's. That are, well, what do you mean by less Josh Okogie? I just think Josh Okogie is better as an individual defender than he is, a, or he was as a rookie. That's yeah, not to rookie, say he will say be that. moving yep. forward. But jo- Josh Okogie, as was Chris Dunn, yeah. um, was more of a slap the floor and I'm stopping this guy defender. Yeah. And Okogie is pretty good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does – defense in the NBA requires five-player synergy. Mm-hmm. And that's something that the Timberwolves have not had in decades. Yeah. And that's again just as critical as as addressing the addressing the the three point shooting. Related to that, he talked about what are you looking for in a coach, and he you know said he's going to assess Ryan Saunders. But it was um, it was interesting the way he envisions a coaching staff being put together, and he referred to it like a football model. He said the way I look at, at coaching is the whole staff. We have to do a great job of putting the the best basketball coaching staff here, top to bottom, and a little like a football model, the the head coach who runs the program, an offensive coordinator, a defensive quarter coordinator, a player development coordinator, and a games plan, a game plans coordinator. That's going to be our vision, which is just like 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yup. You're right. Good vision. Do um, you know much about that Houston Rockets coaching staff? Is that how it's organized? Delic was the... Yeah, I know he was the DC, the defensive Yeah, and uh, their game plans coordinator. Yes, that, I mean, that is that, okay. was, that was the infrastructure yeah, yeah, of, I, that's, of Houston. That's and good to hear. I remember, the reason I remember, because I was in Houston last year for the, the playoff series, and so you have a lot of you know, FaceTime media availabilities with Mike D'Antoni, and he, he was talking about that pretty extensively related to um, Bizdelic, mm-hmm. who was their defensive coordinator there, and who actually um, left, retired at the beginning of this season, and then they rehired and brought him back yep. onto their, their staff after the defense was really struggling to, to, to start the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're just, we're just in an NBA of efficiencies. Like, uh, th- that's a way to... And what Tibbs didn't do is Tibbs was Tibbs was the czar of all of those things. He was the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, player development coordinator, game plans coordinator. Maybe not player development, but for sure <laughs> game plans. Um, and in 2019, it just makes sense to break that up, in my opinion. It just allows you to be smarter in one area. I think we're just, as you said, 2019, like we're starting to learn that, you know, a three-headed monster can be better than a one-headed monster. Like a, a confluence of opinions is valuable. So I hope that that's implemented. I think it, it's it's really interesting as you think about Ryan Saunders and how he fits into this broader vision that Rosas has. But I have read that Rosas played a huge role in identifying and hiring Mike D'Antoni with the Rockets. So I think that's encouraging. I, yeah, I I do too. It just and I don't know if it's if it's going to be Ryan or what it, direction exactly they're going to go, but. It it really it really seems like an obvious maneuver, and I know we're doing. I literally just clapped, so we're doing a lot of <laughs> praising here. Um, I don't know if all of this is going to work, and it, to some extent, it's lip service until until it actually happens. And Rosa said that he was yeah. like, "It's actions, it's actions over words, and um, those actions are yet to come." Yeah. And, and they they start uh, they start with the draft, the combine in you know. They start with player workouts. They have players in at Target Center today um, working out. Uh, a handful of players are on the current roster are are there working. I mean, it, it, it's something It's something that's – the action starts now. Um, he gave us all the words. He yep. gave us 20 minutes of words yesterday. They're, they're good words, but they don't mean anything until the implementation and the, you know <laughs> – the fruits of that alignment develop, you know, yeah. and um, I don't know. I'm, 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 I, we learned something in Gerson Rosa's yesterday at the press conference, but we're going to learn exponentially more in the actions that are taken in as far as acquisitions go. Absolutely. Um, whether that be on the roster, the coaching staff, the front office, like that will, that will indicate who and what the, 2019, 20 Minnesota Timberwolves will be and you know, yeah, for the future. It won't only illuminate Gerson Rosas and who he is as an executive. It will illuminate this process, how it was handled by the Wolves and whether all of this praising we are hearing about the <laughs> process that was carried out and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing and whether this this talk about communication is a, is a good thing or a bad thing. And ultimately... Like the process could have been great and it seems good and like a big Jim Pete guy. I'm glad he was there. Yes. But like that doesn't mean it was perfect. Yes. Um the in sports, the proof's in the pudding. What do you do? 
Mm-hmm. What transpires? Are you able to, you know, polish Andrew Wiggins to some degree? Carl Anthony Towns is a long way. He Carl Anthony Towns is a long way he needs to go, as does the rest of the roster. And that is, and Rosas recognizes it, that's the job. And that's what we will judge. Right now, we have the process. Cool. Thumbs up. Did it. Guy seems competent. Now, you know, now prove your worth. And that's what's left. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. Um, all right. Well, does it kind of feel like we're, is, is maybe like a lull in Timberwolves going to happen Could it now? be? Maybe. <laughs> I well, was, we'll have coaching. Yeah. Well, maybe we got that, the lottery in a week. I was talking to John Krasinski yesterday, who's maybe written like 10,000 words in the past two days. About <laughs> All this. of them just amazing reports. Oh, uh, yeah. Great. Incredible. It, great job. It's like, yeah, now I get it. You know, I get to take a little bit of a, you know, take a little bit of a break. And I think, I don't know, there, there, there's there's more to come and just that, that the nature of the NBA. It's like, yeah, like literally the, the combines next week. Like, yeah. Hard for John to go to the Caribbean or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he wants to. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll be back once once there's more. And in the meantime, we got awesome NBA playoffs going on right now, and I'm so glad we did those podcasts like way in advance. Yeah, because I feel like I had like my opinion on um, the particularly the Bucks Celtics series, which we did in the the Warriors Rockets. Like, I just had my opinion that wasn't influenced by anything because we did it way too yeah. early. And it's been interesting being like, oh, I was like super confident in Milwaukee, like more than anyone else that I ended up finding out. And, and at first I was like, oh shit. Like, yeah. After game one. <laughs> lost, like really bad. Uh, but I'm like, I'm back on it where I'm like, okay, this is going good. Three, one. And uh, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm having a blast with that and having, I mean, this is a, my, my first year really like seriously trying to, cover the playoffs in a way and uh and that that's just been cool and um maybe looking dumb on my my warriors you were with me there too warriors pretty handily over the rockets and it's two two well i think that we focused on how important home court advantage was going to be i think that is playing out to be quite true yes um but i agree with you it's helped it, it helped me to do that so far in advance to just how i can think about these things in the future hopefully we can we'll be able to sync that up for maybe the if we don't have wolves information to be able to look at the conference finals next week or yeah. what whatever it may be. Um until then, I'm Dane Moore. You can follow me at Dane Moore MBA. Charlie Johnson is at C Johns MBA. And we got a bunch of we got a bunch of Wolves stuff on Rosa's up on the site. Charlie will have something else coming and you're also working through the positions. So there should continue to be Wolves content at zonecoverage.com slash Timberwolves. So Follow us there. I have a, if you are looking for these quotes that we've been going through, they're all pretty much in my article. I tried to stick as many of them uh, into the article as possible. So go. It was a really interesting article about how, what one thing Rosa said might influence yeah. kind of how he, how he treats all like the front office, the coaches and the players and how he approaches those things. I was fascinated by it. I think it. We, we, we've effectively teased it. We didn't talk about <laughs> it. We didn't talk about it too much. So, so check that out. That'll be, I don't know. My last big Timberwolves thing for a little bit here, I think. So that's Gerson Rosa's Minnesota Timberwolves solution, working from the inside out at Zone Coverage. Uh, yeah, until next time, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.